40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's driving out there. Nobody's caught them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Thanks for checking out the Coaches Show. I'm Brian Billick here with my buddy Steve Mariucci. And, and Steve, it's obviously getting very interesting. And let's start with what was a heck of a performance by the New England Patriots on the road. I keep talking about waiting for teams to have signature wins on the road against good teams. Well, New England had it against Indianapolis. Boy, oh boy, they're fun to watch, huh, Brian? And, and they keep reinventing themselves every year, it seems. And they started off slow this year, lost a couple games. And fit. Remember that beatdown they had at Kansas City? Well, that can happen. But Remember the stupid it, conversations we all had about, well, is Brady yeah. old, and is he, can he not do this yeah. anymore? And, yeah, remember that, that writer asked Bill uh, Check, <laughs> hey, is uh, Brady done? <laughs> so, and all of a sudden, well, here we are. They're maybe the best team in the league. And so, but you never know, you, you know, you count on Tom Brady, right, to, to be great. But you never know who else is going to be the star. Is it Jonas Gray? Is it LaFell? Is it going to be Gronk? Is it going to be Julian Edelman? Who is it going to be on that offense? You know, they just keep spreading the responsibilities around. I just love watching these guys. Extremely well-coached team. Well, and we and, and I've gotten after Belichick a little bit about this money ball mentality in terms of personnel outside of a Brady. And they've only gone out, you know, and, and pursued so many players. They wait for that great veteran extra you know that buy that great buy that bargain basement buy but you got to give bill credit particularly with this group you know it is a bunch of b and c players and who's this gray guy i mean they they ran for 200 on the practice squad i mean my god they ran for 244 yards against (laughs) indianapolis team that has been pretty good and it was on the road in indianapolis that you got to give them credit for coming up with these guys yeah you do and you know we don't mention you know how when you talk about the Patriots, you don't mention many other people besides Bill Belichick and the uh, Tom Brady, but Josh McDaniel is doing a heck mm-hmm. of a job with that offense, right? He's creative. He's got a fullback in there, smash mouth. He can wing it anytime he wants. He's using all of these extras that you mentioned, uh, and so and then and then when you start talking about their defense, you know, to me, they probably have the best corners in the National Football League, and it's not just Revis and Browner. I mean, they got Arrington and Butler and all these guys that can match up with everybody, including the Broncos. What a, what a, what a good football team. Look and the fact, I mean, in Indianapolis, just 19 yards rushing. Now, I know that's not their deal, you know, and, and it's all about Andrew Luck. And, and Andrew Luck did some things. He made some plays, kind of kept it competitive going into the half. But, but Brady, and again, it was a kind of a pedestrian day for Brady. He did have the two interceptions, which is unique, but he was 19-30, yeah. 257. So kind of a pedestrian day for him. But the thing that has always impressed me about Brady, now you have to have a whole bunch of numbers and a whole bunch of Super Bowls in your back pocket to feel this way, but I don't know that I've ever been around a quarterback or seen, not been around, but seen a quarterback that really doesn't care how many times he throws it. If I have to throw it 19 yeah. times, fine. If I, you know, I, don't, I don't care what my numbers are. I just want to win. I know it. And then, like I said earlier, they're playing with some formations with fullbacks and tight ends, and they're, gonna sling, they're not slinging it every down like some other teams are trying to do. And remember that interception he threw early in the game? He just kind of slung it up there. It was, man, it was so unlike him. And then they kept showing him on the bench, and uh, Andrew Luck ended up driving for a touchdown. But you know what? He just, he just bounces right back. He's been through these things before. He's such a pro. And he's so good at what he does. You, you can ask him to lead. You can ask him to call games at the line of scrimmage, to come from behind. It doesn't matter. 
this guy is unbelievable. Yeah, he, and that one you're talking about, it was what did surprise me was it was under duress. He came out of a play fake, and all of a sudden some colt was on top of him. And he yeah. kind of threw it up blind, where typically I think yeah. a, a Brady might have gone, you know, you know, maybe, you know, I'm not going to throw it up that kind of blind. I think he was upset with himself for throwing it up blind like that kind of happened. We expect that out of a rookie, not a Tom Brady. Are we, they the best team in the league, Brian? Well, I was just going to ask you. You know, you huh? came out with that. They're, they're clearly the best team in the AFC. Because I'm looking. I've been going through. You know me and my the, the signature road wins, and and I don't see any big wins by any teams on the road. Uh, a lot of them. You talked about. You know. Uh, Dallas beating Seattle at home, and of course the way Seattle's fumbling around, that may or may not be a signature. But beating Indianapolis, right. that was that was a signature win in the AFC. Now, are they the best overall? That Green Bay Packer team looked pretty good. The defense, and you look at what's going on in Arizona. But again, with Drew Stanton at quarterback, um, yeah, I think, and maybe off the strength of a Tom Brady and the things you just said defensively, they might have that mantle of the best team in in the NFL right now. They might, and, and it seems, well, we say this every year, uh, home field advantage is going to be so important, but I think it is. I, you know, look at the Denver Broncos, their losses have come on the road. Seahawks, their losses have come on the road, and, and uh, same with the Patriots. And so, you know, you just, you, just, uh, you, you know, to, to go into Foxborough, what are they, 44-3 and three now or something crazy? They just don't lose there. Um, you know, the Broncos are, would be tough if they're at home. Um, if they get healthy, uh, Green Bay's home field advantage is unbelievable, right? Seattle's is. So uh, these teams right now coming down the wire, yeah, they're trying to make the playoffs, but they're trying to get that home field spot somehow, some way, and I think it's going to be a huge advantage this year. Yeah, that's why I keep coming back to I want to see you have just one of those signature wins on the road. I think New England's had there because Indianapolis is a good football team. Uh, we haven't seen it in Denver yet. You know, and I don't know that no. we've seen it out of Cincinnati or Baltimore. Although Cincinnati's going into beating Baltimore to start the season, maybe maybe that's it. But it's amazing. How about how, Cincinnati? How about Cincinnati beating the Saints in the dome? I was shocked. And that after the, that, the Cincinnati just, team we saw on Sunday looked like that team we were talking about at the quarter mark as being maybe the most dominant team in the league right now. <laughs> and then you know that Thursday night game they had against the Browns. Oh, My God, God, they stunk it up. So I mean. So many teams are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde right now. It's so hard to predict one week to the next how well a team will play. I guess that's what's making things interesting pretty much in the league. So many up-and-down teams. The Bengals are one of them. Well, let's, let's move on to another interesting team, a team that at one point we thought was a dominant and the word dynasties floating around. And right now the Seattle Seahawks mm-hmm. uh, taking nothing away from Kansas City. You look at the box score of the game where, where Seattle goes to play Kansas City, and, and uh, Alex Smith was just average. Uh, obviously, uh, Jamal Charles went off. You saw Seattle run the ball. They had like 35 minutes time of possession, yet they lose on the road. And it sounds like there's some things fraying on about that Seattle Seahawks team with Marshawn Lynch and some of the other things. Let's size up where, I mean, could the Seattle Seahawks miss the playoffs? Yeah, they could. And, and, I, and I thought before the season that maybe the 49ers and Seahawks maybe were the best teams in the league, certainly in the NFC. Well, they both could miss the playoffs. But you got Marshawn Lynch, who is a beast. We all know that. But um, that thing at halftime kind of surprises all of us about staying out there and not going in with his team. Uh, this was a hard-fought game, though. Chiefs and Seahawks, 24-20. to 20. Boy, those are two heavyweights slugging it out. But 
there's some the Seahawks are not the same as last year, Brian. They're they're missing so many players from that Super Bowl team. You know, you, you start off with guys in the secondary, Browner and and uh, uh, who else? They're they're not there. They missed guys from uh, their defensive line. Yeah, uh, obviously Clemens, with Clemens gone and and, 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 and Michael Robinson and, did playbook with us, and he said the loss of Mebane. And remember, Michael sure, Robinson is a Seattle now. guy. He says that's going to have a bigger effect than people think. He kind of called yeah. this Kansas City game. Yeah, and it, they're missing some parts. So they're really not as dominating and scary on defense. And then when you th- they try to throw the ball, if this team gets behind, let's face it, Russell Wilson is a stud player and all of that. I wish he had more weapons, and that's no disrespect to the to Baldwins and Curse and those guys. They're pedestrian. But, they're average guys. But but more most teams will have a, a a receiving core that's got more depth than that too, uh, you know I they're they're missing Golden Tate. Golden Tate's having a great right. year over there in Detroit. Uh, Percy Harvin, well he didn't do anything last year except play well in the Super Bowl. Um, I think they miss a guy like a Sidney Rice who they they got rid of a couple of years ago. They need a big weapon in the red zone, somebody that can help Russell Wilson make plays from the pocket like you draw and install a play. You go back five or seven, here's your progression, make a play. Too many of his plays are made from improvise. Well, and what jumps out at me looking at it, when, when last year when I saw Seattle, uh, what, what impressed me the most was when people asked me, what was so unique about your Super Bowl defense, your best single-season defense in the history of the league? And I, there was a lot of things, but the number one thing I would tell you is how well they tackled in the open field. They just did, and they'd swarm tackle, and they all could bring a guy down on the open field. Well, Seattle last year, and I'm watching them defensively, I'm thinking, you know what? This is the closest I've seen to that team that tackled well in the open field. And you watch yesterday. Jamal, they couldn't get their hands on Jamal Charles. Now, I know Jamal Charles is pretty good, but they're not. That's what jumps out at me that says this is not the dominant legion of boom that we saw last year. Uh, They're not tackling as well in the open field as I saw last year. Well, they're not, and then this this whole thing is going to sort out real quick, Brian, because it's going to be a round-robin tournament in the NFC West, right? The Seahawks are going to play Arizona, San Francisco, and then then again, and so we're going to have a little mini-season here coming up, and it's the NFC West against each other, and we'll find out which one wants to go to the, to the dance uh, the most, but they're all chasing. The good thing with this Legion of Boom, who's not quite the same, is that the other teams in the division, Arizona and 49ers, and even the Rams, they're not explosive-type offenses. They're better on defense. And so they're not going to score a 40-burger against you where you're having to play catch-up. They're going to you know, play ball control, run the ball, and, and score 20 points, and that's what they're going to do. And so maybe but this is going to be fun to watch now. Yeah, and I don't uh, – we could easily see, could likely see a 10-6 and 6 NFC West team sit at home and because we, yeah. we're going to obviously see a 7-9 and nine or a – you know, an eight and eight, and God forbid, a six and ten NFC South, whether it's New Orleans or Atlanta, probably New Orleans. Um, but, <laughs> how about, but how about Atlanta first place at four and six? How about, don't on. you love that? Is God that... bless America. You know, and Tampa Bay at 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 two and eight is only two games it. out. We're only We're two games it. out. And you talk about the defense of the NFC West. Who thought would have said this? That I think right now, when you look at it between what's going on in uh, uh, Arizona defensively, the 49ers, who's have always been good, and now that that front seven of the St. Louis Rams is really playing well, Ooh. Seattle could be the fourth-best defense in that division. Bite your tongue. <laughs> did you just say 
the fourth best defense in that? the division, and they were the best defense in the world last year. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, things change fast with injuries and free agency now, and it's, you know, it's hard to stay the same when you're the champs. Uh, you know, you take that Super Bowl last year, and it was a beatdown, right? But Seattle, to me, didn't get any better. They lost too many yeah. players. I thought the Broncos got better right. by adding players. Now, they got to finish the job, right. and they got to get healthy. New England got they, better with that secondary. Yeah, you know, oh so so there were there were yeah. some obviously AFC championship caliber teams that kind of moved forward, and you're right, Seattle, which what can happen obviously a Super Bowl team sure. and the monies add up and whatever, and we don't you know our, obviously we'll see what transpires with Marshawn Lynch staying out at halftime. Pete Carroll's now saying, oh no no I knew that, and you know they're kind of dismissing it as well. That's just Marshawn. There's obviously some contractual things that are stirring it up. Ahmad Brooks is is uh, kind of complaining there in the Bay Area and San Francisco and taking his tape off and not playing. But how about RG3 in Washington? Have we seen this movie before? Was that disappointing after the game? It sounded like he was trying to say we need to play better, but it sure came off as, hey, I'm the only one that's any good and I got no one else around me. Hey, Brian, you know, if you or I went back in the coaching like, you know, somebody's JV team or whatever, (laughs) whatever, all right, you know how you in the off season you have you have film sessions and you have training tapes and cut ups and all that kind of thing. I would certainly take my quarterbacks and I would have a training tape on how to do a press conference. Yep. All right, and I would have the Drew Breeses and the and the Bradys and the Peyton Mannings of the world because they've they have been so good in their press conferences. After wins and after losses, on the field with somebody they don't even know. And I mean, I would make cut ups of how to do this, and I'd make cut ups on how not to do this. Because as you know, the quarterback's job is to do the darn press conferences. Some of them don't want to do it, some are better than others. But geez, and RG3 means well, and he's a good guy, and he's a good, he's a great athlete, all that. But every now and then, he, it comes out probably differently than he would hope it comes out and taken differently. And then you've got Jay Gruden, his coach, trying to make up for it and coach him via the media. And I think that's a rookie coach mistake too because I don't think you go there. If you want to coach him up on going to the wrong side and taking the wrong steps and making the wrong read and mistakes, you do that in a team meeting or an individual meeting or a quarterback meeting not for everybody to talk about like we are right now. Well, and so where does it go? I'm with you. I'm, I'm not, and, and I've sat with RG3 like you have, and you're impressed with the guy. I'm, I'm beginning to question whether he's a good guy. Uh, you know, I live in the really? in, I live in the Mid Atlantic, obviously, and the way the whole he and Shanahan, both Kyle and and Mike, and that whole kind of throwing each other under the bus, and the way he handled that, and now with Jay Gruden, and you're right, it was, and, I, and believe me, I'm when you look in the dictionary, I've put foot and mouth. There's a picture of me in there from my early days as a coach, probably my late days as a coach as well. But where does this go now when the head coach comes out? You're brought in. Jay Gruden was hired. Remember, you fired Mike Shanahan, okay, to bring in a Jay Gruden to individually mentor and get the most out of RG3 because that relationship had been fractured. And now he comes out all, but we understand why. Yeah, you can have this conversation, but it's, you know, when you come out in public and say he took the wrong drop, he read the wrong side, stepped into pressure, and unnecessarily talked about his teammates, boy, you talk about calling a guy out. Where does that relationship go now? South. Uh, it's, It's a shame because it's uh, first year with the two trying to work things out, but they seem to be 
butting heads already right now, and it's a, it's a shame. I think I hope both of them learn a little something from it. Um, but the only way you can start to to mend fences is to start winning some games. And and I don't know if the Redskins are going to go to San Francisco and win a game, are they? And 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 so um, I don't know. I just wish them both luck. But boy, the, you, you you can't. We all know this. You can't start calling out teammates and players in the media. You can compliment them and say we got things to work on maybe, but you keep the negative stuff and the criticism and the coaching points private. Well, as I said, living in that area, and we all live in the fishbowl in the NFL of the he said, she said, and the way the media goes after it. But in D.C., inside the Beltway now, that, that's a whole nother level because that whole world is built around from the political side. The whole mentality is who said what? He went there. Well, confidential hey, we source want here. transparency oh, here. Oh, my. Yeah, we want transparency. Well, so this takes <laughs> it to a whole nother level. I, I don't know where this goes. And, and keeping in mind that it got the last guy fired and Dan Snyder, who for a couple of years now has been fairly behind the scenes. He's changed his act a little bit, notwithstanding the, the whole thing about uh, the name change. But, where, I mean, you fired a, a two-time Super Bowl winning coach because of a fractured relationship with a quarterback. Now what do you do with a quarterback who and did you stay committed to RG three, even though you've paid him a ton of money and and you gave up a lot. Now you yeah, gave you up a lot. They're all in St. Louis now. Do you, do you how do you I, I don't know where this goes. I, for Jay Gruden, I don't I, you know I don't know how he wins that battle. Not sitting there at three and forever. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know, but maybe RG3 needs a fresh start someplace else. I don't know. Wow. Um, which is crazy to say that because of all they gave, they gave up to get him there. And, uh, you know, the injuries played a huge part in that, that uh, in not staying that kind of exciting player like he was his rookie year. Sometimes we forget about that dynamic year that yeah. he had. But we and haven't then, seen any know. growth at all, have we? I know he's been hurt, but him, his ability to throw in th- – my comfort with RG3, or certainly he can make plays outside the pocket, but like a Russell Wilson, I think he can make plays from within the pocket. Russell Wilson, that's still there. You're right. He doesn't have a receiving core to go to, and that's part of the problem. I RG3, he's regressed, and I, I that gets thrown out there a lot, but I don't see the same – ability to throw the ball from the pocket the way he did even when he was a rookie yeah no doubt that's got to be better it, you, I mean it's obvious it has to be better you just can't have your head coach saying it's got to be better to the to the general public and the media um, let's see where this goes Brian and stay tuned it's going to get interesting yeah, over there yeah well the let, let, let's let's change the subject here a little bit I'm going to write this week about because I know you always go right to nfl.com on Wednesdays to see what I write about um, I these I want to I want to get your take on this because basically I just write what you tell me so that's why I always like to do this on our coaches show. Um, we've never seen a year like these rookie wide receivers, have we? I mean, we've had good rookie wide receivers go in, but the depth and the number of from Mike Evans to Sammy Watkins and Benjamin and Cooks and and Beckham and even this kid Brown in Arizona and it goes on and on. The, clearly, this is the best receiver draft we've seen I, that I can remember in my lifetime, and I'm old. You are old, and I am old, and there was a class in 96 that had Marvin Harrison and T.O. and Keyshawn and Imani Toomer and Muhammad, uh, uh, those, those kind of guys. And, and so they were good. There are going to be a couple of Hall of Famers out of that class. However, you know what's kind of cool? I have this show called Game Changers, right? After the Combine, I do a show called Game Changers, and we do a, you know on different positions. We have receivers in. 
and we had Kelvin Benjamin, and we had Allen Robinson and Jarvis Landry, and we've had A.J. Green. We've had all kinds of guys, and it's, and it's fun to get to know these kids when they're still nervous and they're still, they don't even know where they're going to be drafted, and they're still trying to make a name for themselves, get ready for the draft. And it's fun to watch Kelvin Benjamin. This kid is turning into a beast, man. You know, remember, we all remember that catch he made in the national championship game right. to win it, you know, use his height. But he does the same thing now for Carolina. And so it's fun to, to you know, to text those guys and say, good job, and to get to know them and, and watch them on a personal level. But you're right, this class is, is dynamic. Now, you remember back in our day, all right, we're the baby boomer generation of coaches, Receivers weren't valued quite the same. Why? A lot of different reasons. T.O. was a third-round pick out right. of Chattanooga, all right? And so he didn't even start his, his, his rookie year. In fact, then I came in his sophomore year, and he wasn't starting then because Jerry Rice was starting and J.J. Stokes was starting, and T.O. didn't play until Jerry got hurt in the first game. Teams used more two-receiver sets then, right? Teams were more balanced then. Now, geez, everybody's using three and four wide receivers. Play those rookies right away. Let's sling it because the rules say we should sling it. Well, that's that's my point. That's my question. Is it – and last year was substantial as well. And and, and a lot of people – I always used to – you know, think that well, people just think well. That's the easiest transition in on in in football. It's a wide receiver because you don't have the intricacies of the offensive line or that type of stuff. But is it the new rules? Is this why we're seeing because these kids don't have to learn to get off jam the way we always used to worry about when we brought young receivers in? Uh, I got two questions for you. That one uh, is it because of the rules? Is that why they've well, got so many contributing right now? That's one of the reasons. Because it used to be you could beat those guys up. You could whack them when they're going across the middle. You could do all these things that they, they couldn't get off that jam. And, and the guy would grab them all the way down the field. And, and it was impossible for these young kids to get in, in, in the swing of things. Now we've made life easier for not only the receivers, but the quarterback, young quarterbacks to, to throw the ball without so many other you know, bumps out there. And, and, so, and then the other reason, like I said, is people are using more wide receivers. Right, on, more on three and four play. wide receivers. They're coming yeah. out with four receivers on first down. My God, yeah. we used to do that when uh, it was third and 12. You know what I mean? Yeah. Five times a game, that's it. So, but they're a good yeah, – here's the other thing. You think T.O. had seven on seven in the summer when he was coming up as a young kid? These, these, these guys are in seven on sevens, and they're in passing camps, and they're, in all, they're doing all this stuff. They're developing their skills, I believe, at a sooner age. And so uh, I think more of them are ready to do this. Yeah. Well, the second question I have is, how come I never get to go with you on Game Changers? I mean, I can carry the balls around, or I can erase the chalkboard or something. Um, tell you what. I can drive you around. I'll show for you around, be your gopher. Here's what, here, Make sure you got a pad what, there to write on. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. We, have, we bring in Michael Irvin, right, and he helps me coach the receivers. I bring in Sap, and he helps me coach the defensive line. I'll bring in Kurt Warner. I'll bring in uh, LT. What, always, what are you going like, to bring me in to do? I'm going to bring you in to be like a backup tight end, all right? <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> Remember you and I had Gronk on the field at the combine? We did. We did. That was a big son of a gun. Can I wear my spandex bike pants if I come do game changers? That's with what you? you can do. You can you can bike in there and you can teach. We can go for a little bike ride in between interviews, okay? okay. Enough hey, of the remember? silliness. Enough of the silliness. I got, we got to talk to a legitimate coach here. We got a chance oh. to visit with the, uh, the very hot head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mike McCarthy. 
offer Chip Kelly a running clock the rest of the way. Well, Mike, uh, I tell you what, you guys got off to a blazing start. That seems to be your M.O. You've outscored your opponents 128-9 to in the first half in your four home games. Now, everybody wants to start fast, but that's just like obscene. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a unique run, no doubt, uh, no doubt about that. Uh, but, you know, it's really just a combination of, of everything. You know, the offense is going down, putting points on the board in the first drive, and, you know, defense, get, defense is getting those stops early in the game, and uh, we've been able to get up on people at home. And, and as you know, playing with the lead at home is, is, is definitely the preference. Well, everybody wants to get off to a quick start, but is there anything in particular that you'll do by way of play calling in conjunction with what Dom's doing on defense in terms of, okay, we're going we're gonna to take these kind of early shots here, and when we do, I want you to either blitz them more. or what? I mean, is, there, is it that orchestrated? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's that orchestrated. Uh, you know, we have our first calls on offense. Dom has his, his first calls on defense. You know, based on on their personnel groups. So, uh, re- really, as you know, the way the game's being played, you, you always have starting points, but the adjustments uh, happen throughout the game. Particularly, I mean, I, on offense, we do a lot at the line of scrimmage, and you know, Aaron just gives us such great capabilities uh, to get in and out of plays. He's such a spectacular quarterback to watch. Do you ever find yourself kind of becoming a fan and just for a second going, "Wow, that's pretty good." <laughs> Uh, no, no doubt about it. I mean, our, he turns uh, our whole coaching staff and the fans, my, myself included, uh, a couple times each game. So, yeah, it's, uh, he's a special player. Uh, you know, he's, he's played unbelievable football here. And, you know, more importantly, we need to, we need to build off it. And, um, but, yeah, he's, he's putting up huge numbers right now. You know, everybody makes a big deal about him, you know, a month ago telling everybody to relax. Was that did – he, did he tell you coaches to relax a little bit or were you telling him, hey, we're okay, just relax? No, I, I think it was just more um, just Aaron expressing his, you know, his personality and his confidence. Uh, I think the reality of, you know, the people that know the best are the people in the building. Uh, it, this is a, a very, very good group of men, uh, excellent locker room. Uh, I mean, you always say that when you're winning, but it, even when we were going through those bumps, uh, you know, the, just the way they're practicing, the way they're preparing, and uh, we definitely, you know, had confidence back then that this was going to build and. And, you know, we've taken some steps, uh, but we still got a lot we got a lot of growth in front of us. Do you guys find, because you've been up there long enough, Mike, that everybody wants to play at home. Everybody wants the home field advantage. Everybody feels like they're better at home. But this is Lambeau Field. This is like the mecca of football. Do you ever see particularly young players that come into Lambeau for the first time? I'm talking about your opponents where you kind of go, oh, no, 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 they're a little starry-eyed now because they're looking around going, my God, this is Lambeau Field. I, I wish it was that way. I haven't seen it. I, I think – from a you know from opponent players and even coaches' perspective, uh, they're excited to play there. So I think it's a, it's a unique place, um, and I think the the opportunity to play there is is one of you know that brings a little sense of urgency on their part and uh, makes for more more competitive game. Talk about the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson. I mean, every quarterback kind of has his guys, and he obviously has developed with Randall Cobb, and he had it with uh, Driver and Jennings and on and on. But he and Jordy seem to have this zen, nonverbal, you know, Jordy only had four catches, but he had over 100 yards. He does more with catch. I mean, talk about that. I I think it is a unique relationship, even beyond the normal quarterback-receiver. Well, I mean, no doubt. It's just from a pure player perspective, they're they're both exceptional football players. But you know, it's it's the connection that's been building throughout their career, and it's really their ability also to to help the the other players. So uh, they're clearly the leaders in the in the perimeter room. 
Uh, the perimeter watches a lot of tape together. Uh, so, I mean, th these two guys kind of lead the charge and, and keep everybody on the same page. You know, it's been kind of interesting to watch what you've done with, with Clay Matthews, a little unique moving him back into the inside. Talk about a little bit, if you can, the genesis of that. What, what kind of led uh, you and Dom to saying, okay, I think we're going to put him in here just to change it up, or what, what, how did that come about? Well, back in the offseason, you know, we just felt that uh, just the way that the, the last two seasons going into this season have gone, that we needed to, you know, facilitate more players into our packages uh, and, and use, you know, Clay differently, uh, just try to move him around. And also then with the, the addition of Julius Peppers, you know, we, we felt that was the same, you know, same mindset. Coach, thanks so much uh, for your time. Oh, great, Brian. It was great visiting with you. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us on this Week 11 edition of the Coaches Show. You can check us every week on NFL Now to always catch up with the Coaches Show and everything NFL.